We are doing a series called The Gospel. Uh, We have looked at the everlasting gospel, and we have looked at the four gospels and how they present Jesus Christ. And since 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is our outline in essence, uh, that Christ, we've covered that portion, died for our sins. So tonight is our part one of Christ died for our sins. Next week is Memorial Day weekend. My wife has uh, committed me to going to Ohio. Uh, So because it's Memorial Day weekend, we're going to say, hey, enjoy uh, your family, have a cookout, start a fire, you know, things like that. Uh, (laughs) And uh, uh, we'll be back after it for part two the following week. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you. Thank you for your love, for your care. For the things that you have done so that we might understand and trust in the person of your Son and his work. We thank you for the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you might clarify these things in our own hearts and minds and give us grace to be confident in that message in such a way that we would live it out and then be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so you'll notice, died for our sins, part one, according to the scripture, letter A, in order to appreciate the payment, one must understand the cost. Uh, Dave Wells came into my office today and was saying how he was uh, looking at uh, Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies, and within that devotional, Paul says, the cross took care of all of that for us. Uh, Friday night, we were in... uh, a study called The Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. And in one of the chapters, he talks about the idol of evangelism in the evangelical church in America today. And when he says that, he's basically saying that souls are so important. You do all these things. If one soul would get saved. In fact, that same argument is used in America to uh, negate some of the Constitution you know, if one kid doesn't get shot with an AR, it's, oh, please stop. Uh, the reality is, is truth is important. In fact, there were times when Jesus, John the Baptist, and some of the other uh, disciples said things that were so, well, to put it in the terminology of today, were so offensive that people stopped following Jesus. John chapter 6, you've got to eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. And a bunch of his disciples followed him no further. Uh, In um, John the Baptist, you know, here the religious leaders are coming out. Uh, Well, it's about time you guys got here. You know, you'd think that that way. He said, you brood of vipers. You know, who has warned you to uh, try to escape from the wrath to come? Go and bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Oh, of course, they didn't because for the next three and a half years, they chased after Jesus and argued with him for that amount of time. So when we come to the concept of sin, hmm, this is, for the unbeliever, the offensive part of the gospel. Now, what I'd like you to understand is, for the believer, we try to soften this as believers for our own selves. And that, of course, may be a problem. 
in reading uh, the chapters, the first few chapters of the Complete Green Letters, join us on Wednesday nights. That's our commercial uh, <laughs> for our family book study. Um, faith is the first chapter. Time is the second chapter. Uh, acceptance is the third chapter. And in the third chapter, dealing with acceptance, he really deals with how we try and look good on the outside so that God will accept us, not understanding that our acceptance is only because of who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. It can and not be by any rules that we might follow, because we'll, we'll see tonight, sin is still an issue for us, okay? So uh, when dealing with the concept of sin, oh, going back to Dave's uh, question, uh, did the cross take care of everything? If the important thing is that you get to go to heaven, the cross basically took care of everything. But does the Bible teach that's what's important? No, what it teaches is that you've been, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were raised again with Christ to walk in newness of life. Now, that requires the resurrection. If you're just talking about paying your debt, it's all about you going to heaven. If you're talking about uh, being justified before God, receiving His Spirit, and living a different kind of life, that requires the resurrection, not just the crucifixion. Okay, so, uh, in order to appreciate the payment, one must understand the cost. Number one, words that are used to describe the problem. Uh, the word sin, well, the word sin, iniquity, and transgression uh, are the first three words here. Notice, uh, in the Old Testament, sin is used 252 times. It is described with five different words, ranging, uh, the definitions are ranging from offense to miss, Revolt, guilt, a crime, or its penalty. Now, most of us would like to lean on the concept of missing. In fact, we have another word that goes along with that. Well, I made a mistake. Okay. The Bible calls it sin. but uh, Now, when we're talking about an error in the sense of uh, two, plus, uh, 2 plus 2 equals 5, okay, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about sin, something that is contrary to the character of God and therefore is worthy of eternal death. Ouch! Okay? Uh, the word uh, in the New Testament is used 193 times. Four Greek words uh, used to exp express this thing, and the definitions of those four words range from an offense to miss the mark or sin. When we come to iniquity, some of what Pastor was talking about this morning, God visits the iniquity on, uh, from the father to the son, uh, to the son's son, to the third and fourth generation. In the Old Testament, the word iniquity is used 443 times. There are six Hebrew words that deal with it. And the definition ranges from perversity, wickedness, evil, crooked, wrong, moral perversion, and toil or labor. Okay, now the word that we're accustomed to using here is the concept of twisted or crooked. Okay, uh, when we come into the New Testament, it's used 38 times. Uh, three Greek words, definition ranging from violation of law or wickedness, injustice, transgression. And then the word transgression. Uh, the Old Testament, 157 times, three words, uh, definitions ranging from revolt, treachery, 
to breaking away. Now, in transgression, you can really see the more the concept of motive and its rebellion. Okay, in the New Testament, twenty-four times, three words, definitions ranging to from to violate a command, breaking and illegality. So those are our three words. Sin's beginning. Well, for the angelic realm. Uh, and the reasons for the angelic realm to sin, we start with the fall of Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, it says, How are you fallen o heaven, uh, from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? You, are weak, you who weaken the nations. Uh, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. Of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, this passage, we have what we call the five I wills. Uh, He says, I will five times, and ultimately, I am going to make myself like God. Uh, Unfortunately, Within the evangelical church, a lot of people are doing everything they can to make themselves like God. Now, in some cases, it's a power struggle. In some cases, they're trying to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Okay? It is God's purpose to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He does it through trials, through time spent in the Word, and through failure. Well, we don't want anybody to know about our failures. In fact, we're going to justify our failures. We're going to explain our failures. We're going to ignore our failures. Why? Because if we admitted our failures, wow, we might, be, we might be admitting that I can't do it. What was the purpose of the law? The knowledge of sin. To show you that you fell short. Well, what are the purpose of trials? To show you what's in your heart. So that you can sit there and say, God, I want to do it, but I can't. Good, got you right where I want you. That's the whole purpose of it. And we struggle with that concept because, well, I know a Christian's supposed to be like this, and I'm going to be like that. Yeah, have fun. How about Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19? The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre. Now, this actually starts at the beginning of the chapter. And uh, he is lamenting against the king of Tyre. But as we read along here, you're going to see, yeah, he's not talking about the king of Tyre anymore, okay? And it says, and say to him, this is what the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and your settings were crafted in gold. They were prepared on the day you were created. You were an anointed cherub, a guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. 
So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the earth. I made you a spectacle before kings. You profaned your sanctuaries by the magnitude of your iniquities in your dishonest trade. So I made fire come from within you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of everyone watching you. All those who know you among the nations are appalled at you. You have become an object of horror and you will never exist again. Now, this is being prophecy, talking about something that happened uh, shortly after Satan is created, Lucifer is created, and deals with his end at the end of the millennial kingdom. All in one prophecy. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So you see, he's beautiful. Uh, he is uh, perfect. He's uh, full of wisdom. Uh, he's got uh, precious stones mounted in gold settings apparently on his skin. Elsewhere, it talks about uh, possibly uh, musical instruments embedded in him where um, he could somehow influence music. I don't know how that whole thing works. I haven't seen him, <laughs> at least lately. <laughs> so, uh, But uh, the fall of Lucifer, uh, in fact, uh, Jesus says in Luke ten eighteen, and I, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So that's where it starts in the angelic realm. Uh, and why? Pride. Boy, am I something or what? And the answer is, what? <laughs> okay, uh, you're not that uh, all that. Uh, notice the fall of other angelic beings in Psalm 82 and Revelation 12, 4, 9. Uh, Revelation 4, 12, and 9 says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Uh, and verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that, old, uh, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, who was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So obviously within his fall, uh, the third of the angels that uh, fell with him and they were cast out uh, in uh, Psalm 82, it tells us, it's a relatively short uh, eight verses, God has taken his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods. The word there is Elohim, okay? Uh, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, Elohim. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like men and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God. Judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. So you can see in uh, Psalm 82 that the angelic realm, uh, they had a responsibility before God to teach the nations, and I do mean nations at that point, uh, what God expected of them, and they didn't do that. In fact, they kind of sided with the left, 
uh, all the way back then. Uh, and they actually were on the side of the people that were doing the treachery, doing the wickedness. And God said for that reason, though they were gods compared to men, they were going to die like men. So that's uh, how sin began with the angelic realm. Uh, what about mankind? Well, uh, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Well, you, you don't have to turn if uh, you don't want to. There's only a few verses there we're going to look at. But uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we have the fall of mankind. Okay? So... Uh, notice they were tempted in the area of believing what God said, therefore they didn't believe or trust God's word. So uh, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, and uh, man is in the garden, woman isn't created yet, uh, and the Lord commanded the man, uh, verse 16, uh, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay? Uh, th this, uh, the way it's written, uh, we'll see in a moment, but uh, in dying, you will die. Okay? Uh, so God warns Adam. Uh, after he names all the animals, God puts him to sleep, creates woman, um, that whole thing gets going. You know, some people talk about how much time Adam and Eve may have been on the earth uh, before the fall. I personally don't think it was very long. I think it was a very short period of time. A couple of reasons. The more you walk with God, the more you get to know God. The more you get to know God, the more you trust God. Would you agree with that? Okay, that makes good reason and sense. And, of course, the more you're listening to the Word of God, the more it affects the way you think. Adam doesn't have a sin nature like we do. So he is free to receive everything that's coming. We're kind of blinded to it. Uh, Satan's whispering in one ear, and God's trying to get our attention with the other, and uh, it's, it's a battle. Adam doesn't have that problem. But... Uh, the woman is created. Chapter 3, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but from the tr uh, fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. Okay, where did Eve get this or touch it stuff? that? Uh, well, Adam did, and I don't know that Adam was wrong in doing so, but we want to be really, really careful. Because what happens when you add to God's Word? Now, I'm not talking about adding something to the written Word in the sense of, let's throw another book in there. Uh, we three, uh, see at least three judgments in the Word of God on this. But let, let's just say um, Deuteronomy says that a, a woman shouldn't wear clothes that pertain to a man. And men shouldn't wear clothes that pertain to women. Oh, we like throwing those kinds of verses, especially in this day and age, right? Um, question, what did men wear back then? Yeah, let's call it a dress. It's a robe. What did women wear? Robes. 
Was there a special place in JCPenney where the women got theirs and a different place where the men got theirs? I'm sure there was a difference between the clothes. Would you agree with that? Okay. Can a woman wear pants? A lot of people don't think so because that's clothes that pertain to men. See what I'm saying? I, I think that's adding to God's word because God didn't say that. It's clothes that pertain to one or the other, and they both wore robes. There was some differences. Where do women buy their pants? Usually in the women's department, and there's some differences between the women's pants and the men's pants. I'm not wearing them, okay? <laughs> uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, whole, whole point being is the Pharisees added to God's word. You, know, you can't walk a half a mile on the Sabbath. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. What were they doing? They were trying to prevent people from doing more than they should have. Might have been a good motive, but then they got so legalistic about everything that you couldn't spit in your hand, knead a little bit of mud, and put it on a blind guy's eyes so he could see. Wow. So uh, I, I'm not going to say Adam was wrong here, but Adam obviously is the one that adds to what God says. And I think as soon as you add to... You put the person in a place of greater temptation because it's already going to be a temptation, is it not? Uh, we do the same thing with young people. you got to sit at least six inches apart so there's room for the Holy Spirit. I understand the principle. Totally agree with the principle. We want to be careful. Yeah, Sheila. Wasn't the issue that Eve said God said it? Yeah, yeah. And, and she would have understood that Adam told me and he got it from God. Uh, yeah. But uh, obviously it was not fully uh, correct, and therefore we want to be careful we're not doing what Adam did, uh, or if you're doing it, maybe explain at least why. You know, maybe the best thing, he said, don't eat of it or you're going to die. Maybe the best thing we can do is just don't, let, don't even mess with it. Don't, don't touch it. Uh, if I need to get over there once a month and prune the thing, let me take care of it. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, it goes on to say, no, you will not die. What did God say? In dying, you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, In fact, God knows that when you eat uh, it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I mean, God wants me to have wisdom. Okay? So she took of the fruit and, uh, uh, and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now notice, he's with her. He's probably hearing the conversation uh, and looking to see, okay, I wonder what's going to happen, because guys are kind of silly like that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, here's where the fall of man happens. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, so that they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So the first thing man does when he knows he's done something wrong is he tries to cover it up. And then, of course, God shows up on the scene. Uh, apparently, this was the habit. Now, how long had the habit been going? We don't know, but again, I don't think it's very long. He's going to walk through the garden in the cool of the afternoon, which obviously wasn't in St. Louis. 
Okay, the afternoon is usually not very cool. Now, we've got some nice shaded area in our place, and the wind's blowing just right. doesn't matter what the temperature is. feels good. Uh, that's the idea there. And uh, we'll get into the rest of it later. But uh, that's the fall of mankind. Uh, of course, God deals with that. But again, where's the area of temptation? Are you going to believe what God says? Or are you going to use your own reason and come to conclusions and therefore make a decision on your own. So that brings us to sin's effect on man. And of course, if you're going to deal with the sin's effect on man, you got to deal with Adam right off the bat. Now, so we're still in Genesis chapter 3. First, we have a spiritual disconnection from God. I want you to understand that some people believe that man is made of two parts, material and immaterial, body and soul, body and spirit, spirit and soul being the same thing. Others believe that God, a man is made up of three parts, body, the physical aspect, the material aspect, soul and spirit. Uh, the soul, of course, is the person. Uh, God breathed into his nostrils. He became a living soul. And so these bodies, uh, our souls inhabit them. So the body is the mechanism by which one soul can communicate to another soul. The spirit, then, would be the mechanism whereby a soul would communicate or have relation with the Spirit, the Great Spirit, uh, God, okay? Because God is Spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Personally, I, I think more along the lines of trichotomy, three parts. Uh, this is one of those non-essential things. If you think there's just two, hey, good for you, okay? Um, the difficulty I have with the dichotomy is when Adam sinned, Something died, and it corrupted his body and his soul. And when you trust Christ, something comes to life, and you already have a body and a soul. I think that's a good explanation of a third part. Okay, that's just my speculation. But notice uh, God's warning to Adam again, in dying you shall die, Genesis 2, 16, 17. Uh, number two there, uh, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day in verse 8. Uh, and uh, so what does he do? Well, he deals with them, and then he sends them away from the garden, and therefore the tree of life. So in his, now people talk about God cursing them, Okay, if that's your view of God, I'm, I'm okay with that. But he cursed the ground, and there were consequences to the sin, but then he took care of them and promised them a future Redeemer. I'm not sure that's a curse, okay? Um, so I prefer to deal with it from the perspective of God chastised them, Okay? Uh, and again, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get so dogmatic, but notice he comes to the garden to walk in the cool of the afternoon. This is his communion with them. They're going to be denied this. They're in a place of God's uh, presence, uh, the garden that's been prepared. They're going to be denied this. So they are spiritually disconnected and, if you will, physically disconnected uh, from the presence of God. Uh, letter B, consequences of spiritual disconnection with God. For the woman in verse 16, she's going to have multiplied sorrow and conception. 
Apparently, when you plan on living for a long time, you don't need to have uh, so many babies within a short period of time because this season of life is coming to an end. Okay? Uh, so apparently the conceptions would have been far apart. And now they're going to be a lot closer together. And of course, uh, we, we know people that have a variety of uh, numbers of children. And uh, normally people ask them, are they all yours? Uh, people used to ask us when we only had five, and we have people here that have eight, nine on way. <laughs> and uh, I would always tell them, no, I rented one just to get that response from you. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, they're all mine. What do you think I'm doing? Carrying around other people's kids or something? I don't know. But uh, so multiplied sorrow and conception. The multiplied sorrow. What's that all about? I'll bet you all didn't know that women think a lot differently than men do. I mean, everything that's going on in their universe is part of their thought processes. Men, the, yeah. we, we, we go down the, the rope, tie a knot, that subject is gone. My wife tries to tell me things that we're going to do at the end of the month. And then the week before we're going to do them, she goes, uh, remember, we got to do this. And I go, you never told me that. She goes, yes, I did. No, you never told. Why didn't she tell me? She did. But you know something? I'm on this line right here. That one is not important right now. It goes in one ear and out the other because I got to tie this knot off. Go to the next one. Tie that knot off. You women, you think like spider webs. And I don't know about you, but when a spider web is connected to everything... If something goes wrong over here, and then something goes wrong over there, and something goes wrong over there, it doesn't even have to, quote-unquote, affect the person, but it affects them. You ever notice that? So I think that might have something to do with this concept of multiplying sorrows. Um, you know, you watch your kids grow up. Uh, you know, my kids would fall and get hurt, and I'd see there was no blood, and i go, I got a knife, we can cut it off. Uh, and, and Lynn goes, oh, don't do that. And she goes, oh, are you okay? Everything. It's kind of like, oh, stop it already. There's no blood. Now, uh, again, just different ways that we think. So uh, not only that, but she's going to have pain in childbirth. Well, having had kidney stones and having talked to a woman that had kidney stones and children, and she had seven or eight of them, uh, she goes, kidney stone pain is very similar to the pain that you have with giving birth. But with birth, you get something out of it. Okay, I've had kidney stones. I can tell you, they hurt. <laughs> okay, so pain in childbirth, uh, I have a slight understanding. And, and I'm going to leave it there. I have a slight understanding. I'm not going to say that uh, um, kidney stone pain is the same. Uh, that comes from a woman. That's not from me. But uh, it hurts. Okay, and then of course uh, I saw saw a video. I think it was on Facebook where a pastor was making his announcements on Mother's Day with one of those birthing suits on. So he was getting the pain uh, that happens through contractions while he was giving the uh, um, announcements for the church on Sunday morning. Kind of like, okay, it was funny, but uh, that's about all it was. Uh, next, uh, difficult relationship with husband. Now, uh, God says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Wow. 
does that bring difficulty into the relationship? Uh, let's go back to my kids getting hurt and me pulling my jackknife out and my wife trying to protect the dear little buggers uh, from their father, that kind of thing. Uh, the reality is because we think differently, um, and let's face it, women bring something into that marriage that men need. And it deals with the whole concept of nurturing, relationship, that kind of stuff. So her desire is for her husband. It's not talking about the thing that everybody would wish it was. It's talking about, look, you're such a numbskull. I'm going to have to run this thing. And what does God say? No, I'm making the husband the head of the family. What? Okay. Uh, so that, that's part of the reason why there are difficult, uh, difficulties in marriage relationships. Uh, number two, for the man, verses 17 to 19, work becomes hard and futile. Um, Dave uh, occasionally posts on Facebook, uh, one 20-minute job is one broken bolt away from a nightmare. Uh, that is the truth. Uh, if you talk to pastor, uh, plumbing is demonized. Okay? I totally agree with him. Uh, when I do electrical work in my house, I, I recently did some, didn't get shocked once. That's very unusual. I, I normally get <laughs> at least once, you know? Well, why don't you turn off the power? Because then I won't know if it's working. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm making something small project right now. I can't say what it is in case someone's listening because it's going to be a present for them. But, uh, the amount of things I've had to go back and correct. And so it takes longer, longer, longer. Uh, I did some work on it yesterday. And it's kind of like, this did not work the way it's supposed to work. Uh-huh. So work becomes uh, more difficult and futile. And then, of course, there's physical death. From the ground you came from the, to the ground you're going to return. And then, of course, we have the, for the earth. The ground is cursed and the ground groans. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, dealing with the man, he says, says to Adam, Because of you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat uh, from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And then, of course, in Romans chapter uh, 8, oops, I told myself to open up to that, and I haven't gotten there yet. So Romans chapter 8. This is the passage that deals with uh, the earth groans, looking forward to the adoption of uh, the sons of God. Let me just uh, catch it here. Uh, Verses 19 through 22. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Uh, Larry has an app on his phone that... uh, lets him know how many earthquakes are happening every day. And uh, back in the 60s, the average large earthquake was about one every year, one every two years. By 1978, there are now, uh, by 1978, 
there were around 14 major earthquakes around the world every year. Nowadays, if Larry were here, uh, he's out taking care of business, but if he were here, he'd probably tell you there are hundreds of major earthquakes every year. The earth is groaning, okay, looking forward to. You know, one of the things that the prophecy tells us in the Millennial Kingdom, that the reapers are going to be right behind the planters. I don't know about you, but under normal circumstances, normal for us, you put the seed in the ground April, May, and you get the fruit in August, September, maybe July, depending on what it is. Well, these guys are going to be planting their seeds, and the reapers are coming along right behind them and harvesting the fruit. That's an earth that is not groaning. That's an earth that's not cursed. But for now, it's cursed. Until you get to my neighbor's lawn, and you find out that part of the ground is still pretty blessed. I don't know. Wow, that grass is thick. Okay, number two, each generation after Adam and Eve. Well, we have a uh, continued spiritual disconnection from God transferred through the procreative process. Now, some people believe that God creates a new soul every time there is a uh, body uh, procreated. Some people believe that he created all the souls he was ever going to create. They're held up in a bank up in heaven. And when a body gets created, procreated, uh, they throw a soul into it. Bing, bang, bong. Uh, Personally, I don't think either one of those ideas is biblical. I do think that through the procreative process, uh, everything is taken care of. We reproduce after our own kind. So we are body, uh, material, and immaterial parts, and those are both created through the procreative process. Uh, The difference being, because as we saw already this morning, God visits the iniquity, that sinful twist of the father to the children. They are born sinners. Okay, so I uh, already did uh, Exodus 34, 7b, Jeremiah thirty two eighteen. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the well, I guess I didn't need that part. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Now, were you in the garden sinning? Hebrews would make a case for that being in the loins of Adam. Whole point being is through the procreative process, we're born sinners. And then Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) So uh, there's continued spiritual disconnection from God transferred through the procreative process. Not only that, they are totally corrupt. Genesis 6, 5, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And here's how we handle that verse. That was them, that's not us until we continue to read. Genesis eight twenty one, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of 
man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing that I have, as I have done. Proverbs 6.14, perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Proverbs 14.12, 16.25 say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 7.21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, and Matthew fifteen nineteen. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Whole point being is we are totally corrupt. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, uh, most of you know the first few verses. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. Uh, They've all gone out of the way. Together they become worthless. That's from God's perspective. There's nothing that a man can do that might find favor in the eyes of God. Uh, There is none that does good, no, not one. And then it goes on to talk about poison of asps under their uh, tongues and, and so on and so on and so forth. The whole point of that is man is totally corrupt. If you will, from a theological perspective, men are depraved, totally depraved. That does not mean they are as wicked as they can be. What it means is they cannot do anything to find grace or pleasure in the eyes of God. That all happens because Adam sinned and it's all been passed down to us through the procreative process. Now, why is that important? Because if you cannot do a thing, why go to church? Why religion? Because mankind knows in the depths of their soul that there is a God. And they're trying to do something. They're they're no different than Adam and Eve. You realize there's a problem and you try and cover it up. And when God shows up in the garden, you run and hide. And then when he confronts you about your sin, you say, it was the woman that you gave me, Lord. See, the reason why it's important to own up to, yeah, I'm that bad, is because, well, first of all, you are, (laughs) okay? And second of all, you can appreciate the payment that much more and understand the reason for the payment that much more. As long as you think you're not that bad, then what was Jesus' suffering? Well, that was for all those really bad sinners, you know, I'm in there, but it's for the really bad ones. Let me see, who's that sound like? That's called pride. God says this is the truth about every man before salvation. Okay, well, what about us Christians? <laughs> well, oh, uh, let me see, uh, letter C, judgment and condemnation. Uh, Romans uh, 5, uh, 16a, 18a, 623a. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. Uh, 18a, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Uh, 623a, for the wages of sin is death. 
John 3.18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he does, does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Revelation 20, 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that is the judgment, the condemnation that uh, ultimately comes upon all those that are already under condemnation because they are totally corrupt. They're still spiritually disconnected from God. Whoa. Yeah, but... We're Christians. We're saved. Well, let's consider that. According to the Bible, our enemies as Christians are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil. Uh, James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the world is our enemy and what do we try and do? We want to get as close to the world as we can without really doing anything bad. Now, in this particular context, all these people were doing was saying, hey, next weekend I'm going to go to Ohio. And James said, you ought to be saying, Lord willing. Oh, yeah, they were, they were arguing with each other because, well, I want to go to Ohio. Well, I don't. I mean, no offense intended, Mom, but my mother-in-law lives there. Okay? Uh, and they're arguing about it. And he says, you war and murder. And then he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Because wanting what they wanted more than what God wanted was what made them in a position of being an enemy of God. Okay, how about First uh, Peter 5, 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Second uh, Peter 1, 4, uh, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. I know I pointed this out before, but when we think of lust, very often we think of uh, some guy looking at a woman, uh, viewing porn and things like that. All this is talking about is desires. We all have them in us. And the way we overcome those desires, me wanting to be the boss of my life ultimately is what it comes down to, is we participate in the divine nature through the Word of God, or if you will, we're filled with the Spirit through the Word of God. That's how you overcome them. Okay? Uh, goes on to say in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, Stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing the way and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, the whole concept of worldliness comes down to, I want what I want, which James 4 tells us is what causes fights between believers, uh, which uh, the devil is looking for people to, to get all caught up in this kind of thing. Because like a roaring lion, he wants to devour them. He wants to suck them into his way of thinking and get them to fall. <coughs> Time for a cough drop. All righty, so 
Those are our enemies. And notice it is a constant battle. Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual. Now, the beginning of Romans 7, about uh, verse 7 through 13, Paul talks about how he comes to know the Lord. And as far as he was concerned, he was doing fine. And then he read the law where it said, Thou shalt not covet. And he says at that point, all of a sudden I realize I'm coveting all over the place. That which was to bring life, the law, brought death. Because he was dead, he just didn't realize it. Now through the knowledge of sin, he recognizes, oops. Okay? So he comes to know Christ, and then he starts talking about his after-salvation experience in verses 14 through the end of the chapter. And he says, For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, I'm not going to read all of chapter 7, verses 14 to 26. I challenge you to go and do it and look for a few things here. How about verse 18? For I know that in me that is in my flesh, in this body, nothing good dwells. For the desire to do right, or the will, is present with me. But how to perform what is good? I don't have it. I find not. He goes on to say that when I sin, it's no longer I, the new creation in Christ, that sins, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law of sin in my members. He goes on to say in verse uh, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And if you haven't examined it carefully, the next verse says, So then, with my mind, as a new creature, I'm going to serve the law of God. And with my flesh, the law of sin. You know what he's admitting at the end of chapter 7? I'm going to continue to have this struggle. Now, why is that important? Because when we come to church, we don't want anybody to know that we're struggling that maybe we fell on our face in that last temptation. Maybe we were so wanting what we wanted that we got into a fight on the way to church. Everybody must think, I am spiritual. I am good. Ask me and I'll tell you. And I want you to understand, Paul wasn't good. He understood. It's a battle. It goes on. That's how corrupt I am in this life. Yes, I'm a new creature. The old is dead. I no longer serve that master until I choose to, huh? But I don't have to. Okay, I have a new master. Do I always live like I have a new master? Every now and again, I crawl off that altar and get back up on the throne, don't I? See, that's how much sin has corrupted us as believers. No one's ever heard of a believer committing adultery. No one's ever heard of a believer getting involved in uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. No one's ever heard of a, a, a believer killing someone. Wrong. And again, the reason why I'm emphasizing this, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I want you to understand something. If you don't feel bad by now, you really should talk to God. You know, I have never killed anybody. I've gotten close. Have I hated anybody? Been angry with them without a cause? Oh, yeah. Cut me off in traffic. I'll tell you what. I'll let that guy know. Okay? 
Look at a woman in lust, committed adultery. How, how many times? Only once. No. Multitudes upon multitudes of time. Why? What did Pastor teach us this morning? From the science. When you're under that kind of a stress, your DNA wraps itself around that, whatever he called it, I, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, and that changes you. Well, the stuff I was exposed to at four years of age changed me. At that young age, I'm already practicing and thinking along those lines for 17 years. And when I get saved, boom, never had a problem with it again, right? Nope. I had a problem with it for years. Okay? That's how corrupt we are. Part of the reason why we need to understand that is as long as you think you're not that bad, you can do it. And as long as you think you can do it, you're going to try. And God is trying to bring you to a point where you understand, Lord, I can't do it. I need you. Okay? So why don't we believe what God's Word says about how corrupt we are, how it is a constant battle. Of course, that brings us to sin's penalty. And again, we're dealing with the concept of death. This is going to be, of course, for unbelievers, though we struggle with some of the spiritual uh, consequences here. Number one, illness. If you were to open up to Psalm 38, and we're not going to do that because of time, and read through the uh, first 10 verses, you're going to see a guy that is struggling with depression at least three times in those 10 verses. You're going to see a guy that's struggling with... um, just go into the bathroom. There's pain. Uh, there's muscle ache. There's heart palpitations. All of that is in there. Why? Because he hadn't dealt with sin. Now, not all illness is from sin. But can we say that illness is here because we live in a fallen world? Okay? Uh, the word for uh, illness here, uh, shalah or astheneo, those are the two most popular ones, one Hebrew, one Greek, uh, to be ru- uh, rubbed or worn, to be weak, sick, or afflicted, uh, to be feeble in any sense, be diseased, impotent folk, uh, sick, or uh, weak. Uh, so th- those are the words that are used. How about the word death? Uh, Uh, or not the word death, but uh, the concept of death, sin's penalty, physical death. Genesis chapter 5, you know, Adam lived for 930 years, and then he died. And then uh, Seth lived for so many years, and he died. And then so-and-so lived for so many years, and and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. Only two guys have escaped death. God took them. We think he's going to use them again in the future. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that, that's one of those non-essential things, but everybody else died. 694 times the word uh, muth is used in the Old Testament. Maveth, another Hebrew word, uh, death, um, natural or violent. In Genesis 25:11, dealing with the death of Abraham, uh, the dead, their place or their state in Psalm 19, thir- uh, 913 deals more with uh, the gates of Hades, I believe, uh, uh, that concept of death. And of course, then there's also uh, spiritual death. In the Greek, we have uh, thanatos. It's an adjective used as a noun, the word death or deadly. 
It is used of both physical and spiritual death. It is personified in Revelation 20 and verse 14. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Uh, death apparently is the one that brings death to a person. Hades is uh, where that dead person goes, uh, at least Old Testament-wise, uh, since the New Testament, for believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but uh, the, the uh, unbelievers still go to Hades. So it's personified as a person here. Um, it expresses the eternal state and destination of the lost, or if you will, the spiritually dead. Okay, uh, the word necros is used uh, means dead. It uh, is used both of uh, physical and the spiritual. In uh, Matthew ten eight uh, ten eight, it says, "Heal the sick, uh, sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead." Okay, uh, cast out demons freely. You have received freely. Give. Uh, as far as spiritual death, uh, Ephesians two one, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This person wasn't physically death, dead; they were spiritually dead. Verse five, and even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then, of course, the description of the eternal state in the Old Testament in Isaiah sixty six twenty four it says, "And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh." Now, this apparently is after the Battle of Armageddon, where they're seeing all the dead bodies in the in the Valley of Megiddo, and. Uh, but it uses this terminology, the worm should not die, the fire is not quenched. When we come into the New Testament, here's how Jesus uh, describes this eternal state of condemnation. Uh, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. Now he's dealing with the Jewish people. They're the children of the kingdom. And because of their unbelief, they were going to be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping, uh, you get the idea of regret. The gnashing of teeth, that's where they're going, there, there's anger, even in hell. Uh, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-five thirty. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if that's not enough to help you understand the concept of uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, uh, he goes on in Ma Mark nine forty three to 48. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than have two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. So when we deal with the concept of Christ died for sin, we're dealing with the concept that sin is universal. We're not as bad as we could be, but we're so totally corrupt, 
We can't do anything to please God in and of ourselves before salvation and after salvation. That's an important point. A lot of people will say, yeah, those dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinners out there, yeah, they can't do anything to please God. I want you to understand that if we study a little bit further into the book of Romans chapter 8, there's only one way you can do anything that pleases God, and that's in the power of the Spirit. Why? Because sin has so corrupted us. It's not unusual that we struggle with sin. So why do we try and hide it from everybody? Well, people will talk. Well, then stop talking. It's called gossip. It's an abomination unto God. Restore your brother with meekness and kindness. Humbly recognizing you could do this too. See what I'm saying? It is important to understand that's how bad it is for us. So when we talk about Christ died for sin, what was the penalty of our sin? We're physically weak. We can get sick. We can die. We know people that have died. Had two funerals just a couple of weeks ago. But beyond that, there is an eternity where a person that dies in his separation from God, in the state of sin, will be separated from God for eternity in a place of outer darkness where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth. The worm is not going to die. The fire is not going to be quenched. It's horrible. That's what we are all, what we all deserve. Next time we're together, we'll start talking about how Christ took care of that. And we're going to have to deal with why. It wasn't so you could go to heaven. There's so much more to it than that. Let's close in prayer. We'll let you go. Father, thank you again for your wonderful grace, your mercy. We recognize, Lord, that according to your word, yep, we are that. We're that bad. We may not have practiced all of the things, uh, especially now when we're seeing, as Pastor said, the world has gone crazy. And we may be able to see that it's crazy. And yet some in the church don't even see it. Some in some churches trying to make allowances for all that craziness. Give us wisdom and grace, Lord, that we might not only see it, call it what it is, but speak the truth in love, be gentle and kind, and share the gospel with people, first through our lives, second through our mouths, so that maybe they too might come to know you because you have done what's necessary to take care of this problem. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.